You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. This week, we're paying homage to one of the greatest communicators of the last century and arguably even longer than that. And I'm referring, of course, to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, Dr. King was not only one of the primary leaders of the civil rights movement, but he did it while modeling the incredible power of effectively framed and flawlessly delivered nonviolent verbal and nonverbal communication. And each of those elements by itself is incredibly difficult to master from a personal control and mindset and focus, but an execution and, of course, being able to get your message across to the other person. So today I have invited leaders who are passionate about promoting diversity, equity and inclusion, a.k.a. DEI, particularly in the STEM fields, STEM being science, technology, engineering and math, to join me in taking a deeper look into what it was that made Dr. King's communication style so incredibly powerful. And to look from there into identifying what we can learn from him and apply in our own daily personal and professional interactions to have greater influence and to be more effective, inspiring leaders. So without further ado, let me make some introductions. First and foremost, my first guest is a veteran of the Speaking to Influence podcast, Rachel Jones. Rachel is an expert who has held multiple executive positions in operations and analytics at Cotivity, Anthem, Health First, and the Trizetto Group. She's currently the CEO and co-founder of Syntax, a new company being built at Redesign Health, which is a company that powers innovation in healthcare. And she's based out of Atlanta, Georgia, where she is a deep value-based care expert who's devoted most of her career to telling stories with data. I hear some connections already coming in this conversation. And a fun fact, Rachel is always down for a karaoke night, and her favorite choice of music is something I've never even heard of, Yacht Rock and 80s classics. Rachel, welcome back. Hello. So glad to be here again and get into Yacht Rock. It'll change your life, I'm telling you. <laughs> what is Yacht Rock? So I've already learned new vocabulary. We haven't gotten past the first sentence yet of this whole interaction. And what is Yacht Rock for those of us who are totally unenlightened, apparently? It's like mild 80s type of early, late 80s music. If you like, think about it, you're in the afternoon backyard, hanging out with a glass of your favorite cocktail. And it's just chill, you know, it's a chill vibe. Think Lionel Richie, think Phil Collins. That's the vibe. Nice. Okay. So the most important question of all is when you are having that karaoke night, what is your first selection? Where do you grab the mic? Mm, usually an eighties ballad, a journey, don't stop believing a Bon Jovi, like anything that's going to get the people going. Crowd control, crowd engagement is very important in karaoke. Nice. A little living <laughs> on a prayer. The living on a prayer. You got it. That's not my number two song. That's so funny. It has to be because like, if you're not getting people up there with a the fist pounding and screaming along <laughs> with that refrain, it. then you're not doing Gotta it right. Do that's it. 
Awesome. Exactly. I love it. Okay, karaoke night, we are on. This may have to be a follow-up episode. <laughs> we will see. And joining you and joining me today, Nikkel King is a strategic growth leader with Google Cloud. Nikkel is responsible for driving growth and expansion efforts within global enterprise, helping organizations to digitally transform and innovate at scale Google Cloud technologies. As a lifelong New Jerseyan, and I'm a Jersey girl myself, so I knew we were going to connect right away, Nikkel is a champion for DEI in tech and has fostered programs and partnerships to drive DEI at scale. And when she's not working or mentoring, she finds joy in nurturing her family as a wife of 20 years and a mother to a nine and a half year old son. Fun fact about Nikkel, she is a Beyonce super fan. And I want to make sure I say this right. So Nikkel, you got to help me. She's loyal to the, is it Bayhive or Beehive? It's the Beehive. It is the beehive. Okay, B-E-Y, but beehive. And often channels her inner Beyonce when she needs an extra boost of confidence and motivation. So I know karaoke is in your space, Nikkel. First and foremost, welcome to the podcast. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I love the fact that we get to share these little fun facts about ourselves because as much as we work and we're, you know, we're mothers and we wear all of these different hats, at the end of the day, life is about having fun. And we're also not you know, monoliths either. So I love getting to share these different sides of myself that otherwise would not be shared. So thank you for that, Laura. You no, know, it's fun. And now, of course, the same question goes to you that went to Rachel. When you're channeling your inner Beyonce, what's the song? Oh my goodness. I mean, Beyonce has, I mean, all of them, right? I would say it really depends on the mood, right? Like it could be a run the world type of a day. It could be a formation type of a day. It really all depends on the mood and what I'm looking to channel in that moment. And when it's karaoke with friends like Rachel? (laughs) Oh gosh. Rachel also happens to be a good friend of mine. So Rachel, what would you say there? I think formation. I think we're going to get in formation. You know, we're going to get it together, ladies. Yeah. That's a rally. <laughs> we'll put links. That's the rally call. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the rally call. So we'll put links in the show notes for anybody who's not familiar with formation yet and whatever else, other songs that we've mentioned so people can get up on their Yacht Rock, on their Beyonce. <laughs> I lived in Japan for three years and you know, karaoke is practically a religion there. So uh, I'm a big fan myself, I have to confess, of the karaoke scene. But I tend to go, I guess, more of the ballad direction, too, with the Roberta Flack. She's my go-to. It's a, Killing Me Softly. Ooh, that's a good one. Along those that's lines a good one. Is usually a first one. No, you can't do wrong. I mean, you could do Roberta Flack wrong, but you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that. Beautiful stuff. Okay, so back to, we'll have a whole separate conversation about this another day, but let's get to what we're really here to talk about. And that is the incredible power of influence as demonstrated by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And what was amazing about him was how he inspired people with his words. And I always like to share with guests when I'm doing trainings or coaching that the word inspire, if anybody out there is not familiar with it, the root of the word inspire is the same as the Latin from the word inspirare, which literally translates to breathing spirit or breathing life into something. It's not just disseminating information. It is breathing life into a message and breathing life into the people who hear it to get them on board. And he was such an amazing example of this. What do each of you think it was that made him so incredibly effective as a communicator? Yeah, I'm happy to kick things off here, Dr. Laura. I think 
first of all, thank you for even having this conversation. I think certainly as we approach the celebration of the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I think that this is definitely a way to honor his legacy, first and foremost. But I think secondly is for those of us who are in spaces of influence, whether that is leadership in the corporate space or leadership in our various roles within our communities, leadership in our various churches or faith communities. I think that there is so much that we can pull from and learn from with regard to Dr. Martin Luther King. And I think as it relates to your question, I think there's two things that really stand out for me in terms of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s influence. I think, first of all, just to point out the fact that he was a highly effective communicator. But I would also go a little bit further and say that he was a master at communicating because he was able to really communicate a hopeful vision when there was a time where there wasn't a lot to be hopeful for or hopeful about. So I think communicating a hopeful vision, but also a purpose for the civil rights movement. Whether it was in an interview or a meeting or a speech or a sermon, he laid the foundational vision for freedom, for equality, for integration, for economic empowerment in ways where it not only resonated with people, but it also enrolled them in the vision and made them feel that they were a part of it. He also communicated a call to action. And I think if you go back and you listen to any of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speeches, there's always a very strong call to action in his communication. And that is how he was able to mobilize the movement. So everyone understood what their role was in the movement and what their responsibility was in the movement. One of the most famous speeches that, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., made was the I Have a Dream speech. There's almost no one who hasn't heard of the I Have a Dream speech. And he talks about, when you talk about hopefulness, he talks about even though I'm going to face difficulties, like I still have a dream. He talks about how everyone needed to be involved in the struggle for freedom and for justice. And he talked about the fact that we can't just lay down, right, and give ourselves to the sayings of the negative because that won't solve our problems. You know, there's another speech that comes to mind for me where I believe it's the What's Your Life Blueprint speech, where he's speaking to a group of high schoolers, I believe it was. I I know it was a group of young people, where, again, his call to action was that even though these were young people, they needed to be involved in the movement and in the struggle for justice and freedom. He specifically calls out, instead of burning your communities down because you're upset about what is happening in the world and you're upset about the injustices, he calls for them to build up their communities. He calls for them to go out and get a good education and to learn so that they can go out and they can earn and they can have some economic empowerment in the world. And so I think as a result of that, people really did understand their significance in the movement. And let's be clear, there were a lot of people on the front lines of the movement, but there were also just as many unsung heroes who were behind the scenes as well. So you had people who mobilized and they donated and they cooked food for those who were on the front lines and 
for leaders who moved from city to city to city and state to state to state. People who opened their homes and their churches for leaders and protesters who traveled across the country. Those who planned logistics. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But my point in really bringing up all of these points is that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was effective in communicating a vision and a hopeful vision because you can have a vision and people can be out in the streets and they can be angry and, and you can make as much of an impact because you're combating violence along the way. But despite the challenges, he also had a way of mobilizing people so that they understood their significance in the vision. And I think that is what made him most impactful. I heard a whole bunch of specific points that I just want to recap here because I think it's easy for people to miss a few because they were so many packed. Number one, the ability to accurately and clearly convey a vision and not just any vision, but one of hope. This is important for the inspiration that the idea of wanting something more, not just being angry with what is. The idea that there is a clearly articulated call to action. What action do you need to take? And along with that, Understanding that there's a variety of possible roles out there to take. So pick the one that works for you, but then you have a responsibility along with that. It's not just a demand. It's not just an expectation. It's not just entitlement. It's not just a complaint. You have a role and a responsibility in making the better future happen. And that's really powerful. So whether young or old or whatever else the category happens to be. So thank you for sharing those. Rachel, any thoughts you want to add? Yeah, I loved everything that you shared, Nikel. So thank you for a great setup. I love that you talked about the I Have a Dream speech. And I think it's interesting that we don't call it the March on Washington speech, which is where it took place, right? If you actually took a look at the history of that event, it was a march on, on Washington for job rights and for freedom. But the reason why we all call it I Have a Dream speech, because Dr. King told the story about a dream he had. And to me, that's the most powerful technique that he used. There's lots of specific tools around that, and I'll share three specific ones. But global point of view, the storytelling was part of the mastery, I believe. And storytelling to me is not just about, you know, having something be warm and fuzzy and a cute little happy ending. It's about conveying emotion to draw out empathy. Because we know that what inspires change is when someone can see themselves and walk a mile in your shoes and realize the struggle and become emotionally invested to help change that outcome. And I think storytelling is so masterful at that. And Dr. King did that so well. And I'll call out three specific things that I thought about as I reflected on this topic. The first is his use of imagery and analogies, right? He talked about I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, now living in Georgia, I've seen those red hills <laughs> and I've seen how vivid that imagery is of having a dream of, you know, former slaves and the sons of former slaves owners being sitting together at a table of brotherhood. Think about the image that conveys. You can see that in your mind's eye. He used analogies like, you know, broken promises being a bad check. Unfortunately, if you've had a bad check bounce on you before, you know the pain of that broken promise. And so folks can put themselves in that story. They can sort of capture that vision and make that vision real with his use of imagery and analogies. I think the other powerful tool that he used was setting context. 
he opens the I have a dream speech with the story, right, or with the retelling of the fact that on the same steps that he stood as he told that speech, Lincoln declared the Emancipation Proclamation, which, quote unquote, freed the slaves. But at this moment, when he was telling that story, he says the Negro is not free in America. So that's that context that there is this thing that happened all those years ago, and we're still fighting for that dream, for that reality to be made plain. And I think the final tool, I think, or, or sort of specific technique that Dr. King used in his storytelling was the ability to repeat. He used the I have a dream phrase eight times. He used at the end, let freedom ring eight times. And he did that, I believe, on purpose because we all go to speeches. We all go to church. Well, some of us might go to church, might, might go to, you know, a, a webinar or a TED talk and you'll get inspired for the moment, but you walk away and something else gets your attention, right? But if you keep hearing, I have a dream today, I have a dream that one day, I have a dream, I have a dream. Even if you forget all the pieces of the dream, you remember the emotion and you remember the sort of the spirit behind what he's dreaming about. And that stays with you. And at the end, that rallying call to your point, Nikel, about let freedom ring is so powerful because you're walking away thinking about, wow, what will it mean when freedom is ringing throughout the nation? How will our lives change? How will that benefit all of us as citizens, as humans on this earth having an experience? So I think imagery uh, along with that, analogies and metaphors, setting the context, and of course, repetition are some of the powerful tools that he used in, in sort of telling a very masterful story. Refrain, that repetition, those short phrases that are used over and over again, uh, just like in songs, there, after each verse, there's a refrain, you come back to it and it sticks. And anybody out there who's listened to my podcast for a while or who has seen some of my analyses of political debates and those kinds of things, again, I'm apolitical, but we're just looking at the effectiveness of the communication in it. It's all a phrase that I've been using for the last six or eight years is the notion of the tweetable and repeatable. What's something that's short, pithy, powerful, easy to understand, easy to remember, and easy to repeat. And you gave great examples that let freedom ring, let freedom ring. Or of course, they, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream over and over each time with a different image that comes after it. And that's something that sticks better in that storytelling when there are those repeated pieces, because you may forget one of the specifics, but chances are, if you know that there were six or eight of those refrains or dozens, as the case may be, that you're going to remember something that came after at least one of them because it's a prompt. Remembering the refrain itself is a prompt to remember at least something that came after them. So amazing pieces. And now there's a lot that has, sorry, Nicole, did you want to uh, jump in on that? Yeah. You know, I was going to add because I actually went back and, well, the two things, my son had to actually memorize the I Have a Dream speech. I want to say in the second grade, he's in the fourth grade now. And so I got a chance to kind of hear it over and over and over again, because he was doing it a lot to be able to recite with his class. But I actually went back and listened to the speech, knowing that we were going to be having this conversation today. And to your point about influence, I think that one of the other big things that we have to out about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is that his communication is also timeless as well. 
I mean, I listened to that speech and I actually got goosebumps, but it's not just the I have a dream speech. It's any speech that you pull out of his repertoire of speeches over the span of, of his career, including his sermons as well, is the timelessness of it and the fact that I can take that message and the influence of that message in the heart of the civil rights movement and take that and really be inspired and be influenced today and be able to apply that to the struggles and to the movement that our respective movements that we're all fighting today I think that is it's so powerful you know it made me stop and think about the things that I'm sharing today and the things that I am working on today, how will they impact the generations that will come behind me? And I think that is, it's true and it's timeless influence. And it just gives me goosebumps to just hear some of his words kind of play back through videos and through sound. And you know what, isn't that the point of all of this, right? The point to me of legacy is to inspire someone else to leave their own legacy. And so on one hand, it's amazing that his message is timeless. It's a little sad that the message still rings true and we haven't quite achieved the dream, but it is a timeless message. But I love that in listening and reflecting on the timelessness of his message, you're inspired to bring timelessness to your work. And that is the ripple effect, I think, of a strong communicator and an influencer is to not just influence someone to do what they want, but to influence that person to take that reflection internally and see how they can carry forward their own piece of influence and legacy building. That's pretty powerful. Absolutely. With your own flavor added to it, but to continue to push it forward uh, little by little in your own way. And I think we'd be remiss to, we've been talking a lot about Dr. King's content of his messages, his speeches, his sermons, his whatever else, but we can't overlook the delivery. And there were so many things we could talk for years about what he did with his voice and in his presence, not just what he said, because anybody could take the transcript and attempt to deliver it. And Nikel, you listened to it over and over being done by a seven-year-old trying to memorize pieces. And you know, when it's delivered in different ways, it has different effects. But the fact that he was so unwavering in his certainty as he was saying it, there was no question. His voice was declarative. His voice was strong. There wasn't any kind of hesitant vocal fry. He, he didn't start something and then kind of trail off and you know I, I i have a dream where little black boys and little black girls will be playing with little white boys and little white girls like it didn't tri there was none of that i'm not sure like i would liked it to be that way and it sounds kind of good but i'm not really no he owned every word that came out of his mouth and there was no question in any listener's mind that he believed 100 percent in his own message and that everyone needed to accept it and i think that certainty uh, through his voice is something that is an essential quality. Otherwise, stick with email. If you're not going to deliver the message, leave it in a medium where the words will stand for themselves because in speech, it will not if you don't deliver it in a way that conveys what you feel. And I heard a great distinction the other day that your words that come out are what your conscience is thinking, is your conscious communication. Whereas what your delivery, your voice and your body language as you're speaking is what your unconscious is thinking and feeling and communicating. And often that's the truth. And that's the truth that the audience receives. We're going to hear your words, but they're going to receive these subconscious messages. I think that is so spot on. 
Absolutely. And he was perfect alignment when he spoke. That connection, that congruence between his words and his delivery, which is what made him so credible and so impactful every single time that he was at a microphone. So let's talk a little bit about application. So we've got some great big picture examples of what he did well, and we'll call that the theory he's the model. And we can write down examples of now in theory, what should we do? Application can get messy sometimes and can often be easier to talk about than to actually use. So if you will be so kind, share with us one of the lessons that you learned from him in theory, but that you just struggle to model some mistakes that you may have made along the way. Yeah, Laura, I'll jump in on this one. The last time we were together, I talked about my heritage of being Jamaican and, you know, and having a a family that was prone to make a kind of music where you talk over each other instead of taking your turn. I think you called it verbal basketball versus verbal bowling. Um, But I think, you know, as I reflected on one of the things Dr. King did so well, I believe, is having a level of emotional maturity in his speech. You have to think, especially in, in, you know, Letters from Birmingham Jail, right? Or when he's talking on on those kind of national stages, just coming off of maybe being arrested or having to march and see his brothers and sisters get, you know, pepper sprayed or or hosed in the streets. There's anger, there's emotion, there's a whole lot of stuff below the surface, right? But what made him so powerful, I believe, was that he had a level of emotional maturity and could sort of temper that in his delivery. I don't have that all the time. (laughs) I am human and will often let my emotion come through. And I can think of a very specific time that happened in my career recently, actually, probably six, seven months ago, I was in a role where I'm leading an organization that's responsible for sales and hitting our our sales targets and having a conversation with the sales representative and his attitude about missing the target was a little flippant for my taste. If you know me, you know that I take goals and deadlines and targets seriously. I am competitive by nature. I don't, don't want to face me off in taboo. And so he's talking about not meeting these numbers and he's kind of being flippant about it and kind of being sort of laissez-faire. And I did not model emotional maturity. I said exactly what I was thinking. And I think sometimes, and oftentimes the leader, you have to sort of temper what you're thinking and lead with kindness first. And I did not lead with kindness. I did not lead with maturity. I laid into him publicly in a setting of a bunch of other colleagues. And afterwards, I received some some feedback about that. And it wasn't so much that my justification was wrong. I was likely justified in calling out that this behavior wasn't helpful to help meeting our targets and he wasn't role-playing or modeling behavior that I want other sales associates to model. But my delivery was completely off. It was disrespectful to the team that was there because it sort of made it awkward for everybody after that moment. It was certainly not kind to that individual to be publicly lashed in front of his colleagues and peers. And I didn't really get what I wanted, which was an acknowledgement of the seriousness of our goal and our target and how I can help him achieve the target, which was my actual goal. My goal really was, how can I help you as a business leader achieve your target so that we all win? And I lost sight of that goal because my emotion and my anger got the best of me. And I think Dr. King, in looking at, I'm sure there are opportunities where he might have not done all the time, but the ones I saw, the, one, the ones that are certainly publicized, he always seemed to have a level of decorum and emotional maturity with how he spoke and how he dealt with the things that were happening 
although he was probably standing on a mountain of hurt and anger. That's something that I, I definitely continue to struggle with and want to continue to learn and get better at. Of course, of course. And let me play devil's advocate for a second, because there are people I know who are listening who will say things like, but you were being authentic. And if you're not going to speak your truth in that moment, then what are you repressing? Where are you not being yourself? Where are you in the whole aspects of code switching and covering? And that's a very slippery slope. And I want to do complete honor and respect to the notion that no one should ever have to cover. No one should ever be coerced to communicate a certain way. But there are those who feel very much like you do, like, hey, I speak my truth. And if you're telling me I can't say what I want to say when I'm saying it, then you make me be inauthentic. What's your response? Let me tell you, that's the biggest fallacy that people have fed folks because communication is a two-way street. And if you forget that for a moment, if you get so full of yourself and so full of your ego that you lose sight of the goal of communication in that moment, then you're playing a losing game. To me, the trap of authenticity is making it about yourself. Authenticity is to me, is you're remaining who you are at your core, but you're remembering that it's not about you. And you're bringing your best self forward, your truth forward in a way that serves the ultimate goal, whatever that goal may be, whether it be influencing thousands in a national movement like Dr. King or influencing your five-year-old to pick up his toys. It doesn't matter to me if you're real and you've got you know, it off your chest if nothing changes, if you're not successful in imparting your sort of goal or communication, if the other person doesn't receive it, it's a failure. And so I think, unfortunately, we've turned this sort of, I don't know, I use the trigger word wokeness maybe, into this weapon and we've weaponized authenticity instead of remembering the goal, which is to communicate and to create relationships and connections in order to do something great greater than what you can do yourself. That's the point of leadership, is to maximize your efforts beyond what you can do yourself through others. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we get trapped up in this authenticity game. Yes, that's beautifully put. That was part one of my panel discussion with Rachel Jones and Nikkel King on lessons in communication and influence from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Tomorrow, you can catch the rest of our interview where we talk about starting with the end in mind and knowing the effect you want to have on people the critical importance of Dr. King's inherent belief in the good of humanity, and how to keep your inspiration tank full while spearheading a movement. Catch that and more on episode 140 of Speaking to Influence. Thanks for tuning in as always. If you haven't yet, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. 
Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.